Welcome to Always Authors, the literary podcast that presents two authors in candid conversation. On this episode, we're excited to bring you New York Times bestselling author Karen White with Susan Meissner, USA bestselling author of beloved historical fiction. They'll compare notes on inspirational cemeteries, the power of a good ghost story, and how they got their creative mojo back after the pandemic. Pour a glass of wine and listen in on the fun. Inspiration starts now. Hi, Susan. I know it's early in the morning for you there in San Diego. I am so excited about this day. I've been looking forward to it all week long, so I'm so happy to be here with you, talking with you today. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's... Um, we're we're kind of we're kind of done with the whole online stuff, but it's it's also like really cool because you can sit down with your friends and your readers and and everything else sometimes just to to catch up. And um, I just saw you recently in San Diego. We were there together, and um, we were talking about our books and um, uh, your your most recent one, which I adored, "The Nature of Fragile Things." And then I had a the opportunity to talk a little bit about um, my newest book, uh, the one that comes out tomorrow, March 29th. Tomorrow. Yes, I can't. Wow, I think it's book number 31, but I think you might have me beat there. <laughs> I think you're still, I have a ways to go before I catch up to you. I'm so excited for you to begin this new series. And I know that there's lots of ways we could start this conversation, but I think we should start with raising a glass to your brand new series and a brand new book. And I want to hear all about it because I hardly know anything about your new series. All I know about it, it was birthed from your beloved Trad Street series. And I know a lot of your fans love those books, love them. And this new series um, features a character from those books. So can you tell us? I really want to hear more about it. Well, thank you. Um, I'm really excited about it. I mean, we're, we're each familiar with each other's books, which is, I, and again, this is a question that we'd like, did we read each other first or did we meet in person? Mm -hmm. I think we were each given a book of the others to read for a blurb and then we met in person and we're like, oh, okay. And, and we're publishing house sisters. So that, that's pretty special, but, um, um, we, we, um, Golly, we've known each other for a while now, and we're familiar with each other's books. And um, so, yes, um, you said you've written a series. This is my second series. The Tried Street series was something, you know, I've been writing my single title Southern women's fiction for a while, kind of dabbling like you do in different genres. Mm -hmm. You know, I've done the time travel, the gothic romance, the straight contemporary, the straight historical, the back and forth historical contemporary. Um, but in 2005, I had the, oh, we've, and we'll talk about this later, our collaborations. Uh, that's also something that we have in common. But um, in 2005, I um, had this idea to why not stretch my writing muscles and um, write a series? You know, how hard can that be? <laughs> and <laughs> so, so um, I just thought it would be interesting, you know, because you know what it's like when you start a new book. You, it's, 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 you know, you're opening up a vein every time. And um, I thought with, a, with a, a series, you have certain givens. You've already, you know, after the first book, Yes, you will be introducing new characters, but your mainstay characters are still there. 
your setting is still there. You can carry over stories from previous books. And I just thought nothing would be easier, but it would be different and maybe a welcome respite between, you know, having to reinvent the, 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 the wheel every time you started a book. So I thought, okay. And, you know, I, I do um, write Southern. So I thought I, um, I'd always wanted, remember this is 2005, I'd always wanted to write a book set in New Orleans because that's where I went to, to college. That's what I'm very familiar with. And um, so, you know, we went to spring break there. My kids were little, um, so we were not little. They were like middle school, whatever. Um, and uh, we went there for spring break. We did all the touring and, you know, the swap <laughs> tour and the haunted house tours. and the Because I knew then, I, I already knew that I was going to be dealing with an OCD realtor who saw dead people. So there had to be that paranormal. That is just the best premise ever. And <laughs> I know. And, and it just, she literally just jumped into my head. But so I went to New Orleans thinking that's where it's going to be. So remember how I said it was 2005 when I first started thinking about this. And then we know what happened in August of 2005. Yes. A little storm called Katrina happened to New Orleans. So I knew Katrina was too big of a character to be to be shoved as a secondary character into a series. So I had to find another great Southern city with lots of fabulous history, architecture, and of course, ghosts. And um, that's how the Trout Street series came to be set in Charleston. Wow, Not that's many very people insightful know that. of you to and kind of um, give the people of Louisiana time to recover from Katrina before using it as a literary backdrop. I think that's very kind of you and compassionate. I well, salute you. Well, thank you. But, you know, but again, because I'd lived there, two of my best friends were from there. I, you know, one of them, you know, had to leave for a year while her house was pretty much destroyed. And, um, you know, my heart broke for these people. And I just, I, you know, I did. It's funny because I, later on, I think in 2012, I uh, wrote a book called um, The Beach Trees, which is actually pre-Camille, which was 1969, another Category 5, and post-Katrina, Biloxi and New Orleans, because that book is all about surviving storms. And, um, and you know, and, and I think you and I both write, that's kind of one of the recurring themes is something bad happens and how do you still find the beauty in life or the hope in life to take that, that next step? And this, this whole, that whole story came to me from uh, seeing pictures of these gorgeous, like Biloxi was lined with these, the, the coast was lined with these gorgeous 300 year old plus oak trees that, you know, they've been there forever, beautiful and lovely. And the storm surge in Biloxi was 30 feet. And some of them, the salt water killed them and some of them, the salt water didn't, didn't. So which ones survived and which ones didn't. But then there, these beautiful chainsaw artists came in and they made these beautiful sculptures out of the dead trees. And, and to me, again, that symbolizes so many of the characters you and I write about, you know, something is, is dead, but they find life, you know, they reincarnate themselves in, in a new life to find meaning and purpose in life again. And that was so symbolic of the people in New Orleans and the Gulf Coast. Um, and that's why I thought, you know, um, but then it worked out. So we had Charleston yeah. and the Tragedy Street series. And now, now we're morphing with one of our favorite characters, Nola Trenum. And I'm finally getting 
to pay homage to New Orleans and writing the series the way it was originally intended. Not that I regret the Tragic Street series. I think it's been fun and I love Charleston. I will always go back to Charleston. I will set more books in the Low Country, but New Orleans, it's her time to shine. And I'm so excited to be able to do that now with uh, the new series. That is terrific. And I love how you've been able to take a character that we meet in the Trad Street series is now the headlining character in the new series, but it's not a spoiler to say that Nola is different than her stepmother, who is the main character in your first series. Like, do you want to explain how they're different without giving away anything that we shouldn't be talking about? Because I don't want to spoil anything for anybody no, 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 no. I, I know. And it's and it's me too, because I'm in the middle of the second book and I can't remember what was covered in the first book now because they're all kind of, you know, um, uh, melding together a little bit because it's a continuing story. But so Melanie, like I said, is the OCD realtor in Charleston. And she, you know, when we first met her, um, she's 39 years old, has absolutely no life except for her work life. Um, she's very um, sheltered from men. Um, never expected to be married or have children. Of course, by the end of the series, her life is very different, but she also sees dead people. But I have to say that when I introduced the character of Nola at the end of the second book, I had no idea she would become a fan favorite. But don't you love it when you get reader emails saying that a character you created who's a secondary character is so special and they want to see mm -hmm. more of them. They love your main characters, but they want to see more of them. And, um, you know, and, and so Nola was a fan favorite, but not only just Nola and how one, because the first 14 years of her life before she joins Melanie, she is raised by a mother, a single mother whose alcohol and other, um, uh, and drug dependencies sort of overrode her ability to mother Nola. So Nola has been mothering her mother for 14 years. When her mother dies unexpectedly, Nola then by herself gets on a bus, goes from California to Charleston to find the father who doesn't know she exists. And I mean, and that shows you a little bit about who she is. She doesn't have, you know, paranormal ability. But the thing that I think is so special, and, and I noticed this in your book, The Nature of Fragile fragile things, the mother-daughter relationship. And that book is so special. And I love when I read, you know, about they're not biologically related, but they have this relationship that is even more special because of that. And um, with Mel when Melanie meets Nola, she embraces her like, you know, and Melanie, you know, she's, she's an odd duck, you know, but she sees, she sees, in both of them, the unmoored souls that that they are. And, you know, Melanie is beginning to find her way, but she sees this lost and lonely child and who she knows needs a mother. And she steps into that role long before she marries Nola's father and, and, and makes it real. So it was great being able to then, I knew that Nola had a backstory those first 14 years, and I knew they had to affect her somehow in her adulthood. And so with the shop on Royal Street, it is 10 years after the last book of the Trad Street series. So she is a young woman who we start to find out of the stumbles that she has had since we last saw her in the last book in uh, the Trad Street series. And I'm just, there will be poor paranormal aspects, of course, of course because 
that's what people love about these books, but it will not be coming from Nola. It will be coming from another character. That is very exciting. Now, in the Trad Street series, it was the house, but here we have a shop on Royal Street. So can you tell us, is the shop something that's going to appear in these books, or is the yes. shop something so, we only see with this first book? Well, I'm just going to spoil it for you right now. The title of the second book is The House on Britannia, <laughs> so, which was going to be the original uh, a title for the series when I, that eventually became The House on Trad Street. Um, because there's a character we meet in the last book in the Trad Street series, uh, Beau Ryan, who is from New Orleans. He's in school in, in Charleston. That's how he meets Nola. And um, his family owns a shop on Royal Street. It's a, an antique store, as Nola's grandparents own an antique store in Charleston. And he works at, at part-time um, at Nola's grandparents' store, and that's how they meet. Um, and Bo is the one who may or may not have the sixth sense. So 10 years later, when Nola finds herself in New Orleans, guess who lives there? And there is a shop on Royal Street, and there is a back room that is very mysterious. And, and you're going to stop there, huh? <laughs> mysterious <laughs> yes. shop. Yes, That's, yes. I can hear the mysterious music now. Well, yes. That sounds delightful. Well, I, I'm looking forward to this series. Well, thank you. And, um, and that is something I know. And, and it surprised me, actually, because when you were on tour uh, last year for The Nature of Fragile Things, uh, we had the honor of hosting you at our house. Um, and I learned a couple things. A, um, you're a huge dog lover. As, as I am. And at the time, my elderly dog was struggling and I had, and you gave me the courage to recognize that it was time to say goodbye. And, and I don't think any, anybody could have told me, you know, the way that you did that made me really look at him and realize that it, it was time. And so it, it, we did, we said goodbye to our sweet Quincy. I'm so glad you got to meet him and he loved you. Um, <laughs> I am too. That was kind of a special time for me too, as a fellow dog lover, to be there for you. At and a, you had recently a, gone through the same, yes, the same thing. Yes. So, um, so that was special. Yeah. But something that really surprised me, um, we, I guess we were talking about podcasts and, um, as we were both traveling all over the place, you know, how do, how do we stay awake while driving? And, um, we were talking about some of our, our podcasts. So take it away. What, what were, what? <laughs> what subject did you and I both surprise the other with? Well, um, I think we both were surprised to hear that we are both interested in the stories that emerge from the past that we see in cemeteries. I know that sounds yes. odd to people. Or morbid. I I, and more, I think morbid is the word, the, the conventional word for that. But I just feel like when you go to a cemetery, there's, um, it's like a museum to life is what it is. And, and oh, that's we, beautiful. Yeah. We remember the people that have gone before us. It really matters to us. And it's not just because um, we, we miss people who are gone from this life, but we don't want anyone else to forget them either. Yeah. And so we put these beautiful, peaceful, I think most cemeteries are the most peaceful, pretty mm -hmm. places you can find in a city. Mm -hmm. And there are these stones, some small, some big, but they all have the person's name mm -hmm. and the dates they were here. 
and it's quiet and beautiful and there's this sense of awe and remembrance. And I think that just says that um, life matters, the life, the lives we've lived matter, they ought not to be forgotten. Mm -hmm. And what is sad then is if there is a life that has been forgotten. Mm -hmm. So if you go into an old cemetery and you see a stone and you can't read the name, mm -hmm. that makes me curious. Yes. Or if you see a stone and the epitaph suggests something that it wasn't right what happened to this person or some other fact about the person that just begs you to imagine mm -hmm. what that life had been like and Maybe some people feel like cemeteries are scary places, but that's only because of um, stories that we've heard about the about the dead being unrested, mm -hmm. and and I think for the most part they're actually the most peaceful, idea inspiring places in the world. Oh, it, yeah, and and it's so funny that we bonded over that because I it's true. I everywhere I go, if I could just walk through the cemetery. Um, I love to read the names. I love, I always calculate how old they were. And if mm -hmm. it's a young person, I'm so curious as to what happened. And I think that's because we're storytellers and we do tell mm -hmm. the stories of, from people's pasts or from our collective pasts. And we, and we try to, you know, we, we make up a story that we don't know, but um, I think one of the, my favorite ones that I shared with you, Tombstone Shadows, which he needs to do more, but where he actually does that, he goes into a cemetery, not even a famous one. It could be some backwoods kind of cemetery. And he finds like an interesting name or dates or something. And he does the research to find mm -hmm. out who that person was and what, even if it's an ordinary life. Um, because it's a way of paying, you know, respect to somebody who, who, you know, was born, lived and died and people, you know, who they affected other lives and other mm -hmm. lives we will never know. But I just think it's really special. And, um, mm -hmm. I think that's why we create our characters the way we do, because these people could have been real. There were people like them who existed and, um, we need to feel you know, feel the emotions that they share just to, to keep them alive, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. And I think, I think that's maybe one reason why people enjoy a good ghost story is not so much that they want to be frightened, although that's kind of fun too, but I really think it's deeper than that. I think if there's a ghost story, if there's a ghost, it means there's somebody gone from this life who's not at rest, mm -hmm. which means they're like every other character in every other book there's somebody who wants something and they don't have it. Right. And so the, the ghost is somebody who's not at rest. Mm -hmm. And so the story is usually, what do they need to be able to be at rest? And that's the story of almost all of us, even the living characters. You know, we mm -hmm. all want peace and safety. Mm -hmm. And I, I, uh, I wrote a, a story about a ghost and it's actually, it takes place on the Queen Mary Yes. Which were you there with? You were there that yes, day. Yes, that's we the did first that time event. I think I met you in yes, person. Yes, I think on that was Queen our Mary. first time. Yeah, we mm -hmm. met in person um, on the Queen Mary just before COVID hit. It was um, the end of January 2020. 2020. <laughs> and we were there for a wonderful book event, bunch of authors. And the thing about the Queen Mary is it's famously haunted. Oh, yes. Which I did not know when I chose it as a backdrop for a story. I just knew that oh, war wow. brides. Okay. 
came to the United States in 1946 aboard the Queen Mary. It was one of several ships that had been kind of deputized for that purpose to bring over all of these European war brides who had married American GIs during the war and then getting them all over to the U.S. and Canada was no small feat. And the Queen Mary was one of the ships that did that. That was my premise. That was my story. It was a story about war brides. But when I went to do the research, I found out the, the ship is actually famously haunted. And I thought, I can't ignore that. Can't. I've got to, there's got to be a ghost if there's going to be a, a haunted place. But what I learned about um, thinking about a soul that is not at rest is um, that's, that's their lingering humanity is this desire to have things be made right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but the ghost in, in my book is a, is a rather unconventional Yes, um, I was surprised. Mm -hmm. I was very surprised. A nice little twist. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. But it was it was fun to consider that a ghost is not scary. Mm -hmm. A ghost is a character who wants something and they don't have it. And they, they go after it just like mortal, you know, mortal characters do. And um, it was interesting to to discover that a ghost story can be just as meaningful and insightful and kind of like soul searching mm -hmm. as a story about a, about a real character. Um, and I, I, th I think you're very right. Um, cause they, they, they're looking for answers. I also think what I love about writing about ghost stories is, um, it's, they have unfinished business and something or some mm -hmm. wrong that needs to be righted and they need someone in the living realm to, help them with that. And I think all of our stories are that somebody has a problem that needs to be mm -hmm. solved and darn it, they died before the, the, the character died before they were able to do it, you know? And, and so it's our job to, yeah. you know, to, to finish that story for them. And, um, I think that's why people are fascinated with, you know, both your book and, you know, my series, they, you know, what we don't know fascinates us and, you know, that whole other realm of, you know, I do believe in ghosts. Um, I have never seen one and I don't really want to because I am a scaredy pants. <laughs> um, my son has and he's not happy about it. Um, but um, there's definitely something there and I don't think there's a need to be scared of them. I agree. I think what we need to um, maybe open our thinking to is just that we don't know everything. Like, you know, we think we know everything and we might say, oh, I, there are no ghosts, but you can't prove it. You can't prove there are, you can't prove they're not. So I, I'm of the mind that, um, just be open to the things that you don't know. Exactly. exactly. Because you could, you could learn a lot by just having a mind that is able to, um, embrace new truth mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, um, it just, you know, just the idea that we don't know it all is actually kind of <laughs> thrilling and, and, and inspiring too. I don't too. want to know. I, if I knew yeah. all the answers, I'd have nothing to write exactly. about. Exactly. Oh, isn't that the truth? Yeah. Do you find that when you write, because I know this is true for me, that when you write, you are kind of looking for answers, like in your characters and in the quests that you give them, you're Absolutely. kind of thinking through life for yourself and pondering how to, how we make sense of the world we're living in and and that you find you do that through your stories? I think so. And and not so much as the entire world, but 
relationships in my life that I wish were different, mm-hmm. that I, I, I create care. Like I've, I've was raised with three brothers and I always wanted a sister. Um, so I, my characters like, and until somebody pointed out to me, my characters were either only children or they had a sister because <laughs> I just created the family that I wanted. And then, and then I had to really be careful because my, first books always had evil mothers in them. <laughs> and then I started creating mothers daughter relationships that were complicated, but then got resolved because that is how I wanted it to be in my own story. Um, so yeah. And that's, you do get to play God a little bit when you're an author, don't you think where you can create stories and lives and people that you wish were true. Yeah. Real. I think that's true too. And I also think, I know that um, since I write historical fiction almost completely, I find that I'm able to look back at the past and kind of figure things out without anybody being clued in to what I'm really trying to figure out because I'm, I'm in the past. I've, mm-hmm. I, I go to places and things that have already transpired and the backdrop is there. It's been there for maybe decades mm-hmm. and maybe has even been forgotten a little bit mm-hmm. and I replumb the depths of mm-hmm. that place and it I can find the relevance for today right it, it's usually there anyway just waiting for us to discover right. um, but it but it allows me to um, I guess figure out things for myself living in the 21st century right. by looking at something mm-hmm. and exploring something through the vehicle of story that happened a, a hundred years ago. You know, and I was writing The Nature of Fragile Things. It's it's a book that's set during the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. And there's a lot of people that don't live in a place where they have earthquakes. I live in California. We have them all the time. I'm used to them. But there are people that I'm, maybe that have never felt an earthquake, but everybody knows what it's like to feel like your world is starting to crumble. Mm-hmm. That's something everybody has felt. And I, I think... Um, historical fiction is kind of just gives us a, 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 a ticket to the past yes. to um, to visit something that already happened and take from that long ago event something that that is relevant to you today. Yeah. Susan, that's brilliant. That's uh, that's absolutely right. You always you always put things um, into beautiful perspective. And I'm looking. I wrote down. There's a quote that's on your website. Let's see, where is it? Oh, um, you write stories of where we've been and where we're going. Um, and that, that sort of, uh, because uh, again, you have written everything. You write, you write um, a, mostly historical now, but you've done, you know, the back and forth and, and, um, and contemporary as well. But um, I just find that we're constantly rewriting that the, you know, if, if we don't remember the past, we are bound to repeat it. And there's so, there's so much, so many lessons in the past. And I think as historical writers, um, even though I don't really classify myself as historical, I, I have done, um, you know, but uh, not, not exclusively. Mm-hmm. But I do think it, it's, I think people do forget the past. And I think it's up to us maybe to, to, again, to, to tell it through the vehicle of story um, about things that happened just to not raise awareness, but 
Yeah, raise awareness mm-hmm. and entertain at the same time. And I, I, I think you and I attempt that. And I think we've been successful at it as well. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and then come back to chat about our Desert Island books. So Susan, since we are both avid readers as well as writers, this should be of interest to you. Always Authors is sponsored by Bookfinity. So I had to go take a look to see what it's all about. After we hang up here, you should definitely check it out. Go to bookfinity.com and set up a free account by taking a brief quiz that identifies the kind of books you like to read the most. They will match you to the books and authors based on your reader type. What's fun about it is that you'll probably learn about books you don't know yet, which expands your reading roster. You can also give a thumbs up or down to the books they suggest, so each time you visit bookfinity.com, the recommendations become more refined for you specifically. It's an easy and fun way to help curate your personal library. So a big thanks to Bookfinity for adding to my bookshelf. I actually went on Bookfinity just before we recorded this podcast, and I took the quiz, and it was so much fun. And I learned that I am a time traveler, which means I like books that are all over the place. And I'm also a serial reader that I like deep things. I want to I want to be in, surprised by what I read. And that I'm also addicted to heroines, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Buxton Books is proud to be a season sponsor of the Always Authors podcast. Buxton Books is located in downtown Charleston, South Carolina on King Street. And we are a full-service, independent bookstore that also specializes in presenting one-of-a-kind literary events. Please come visit us in Charleston or online at buxtonbooks.com to purchase books and to receive our newsletter for information on events and booksellers' recommendations. We ship anywhere in the United States and internationally. Happy reading from Buxton Books. All right, I'm going to go first, Susan, because... I have come up with a list of three books that if you were to go on a desert island, and I'm assuming that that this does not include your, you know, your sunscreen, your your hat, your flare in case you need uh, rescuing, but three books where all you had to do is read. The first one that came up to me, and and this is an older book, and one of my best friends gave it to me when I was a junior in college. So uh, we're talking early 80s when this came out, excuse me, mid 80s, I'm not that old, Um, mid 80s (laughs) when this came out, and it was written by an 88-year-old woman, and she won the Pulitzer Prize for it. So I'm wondering if you've already read it, but it is in my top three all-time favorite books of all time. So if you haven't read it, and it's a big, thick, heavy one, you could always use it to weigh down your your blanket, (laughs) and that's And Ladies of the Club by Helen Hooven Santmeyer. I have not read it, and it is going on my TBR list. You will love it if you or want my to travel suitcase. through time. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, it is amazing. So definitely check that one out. Um, and the second one, because you like, because you know, research books should be fun, and these are both nonfiction, but they're sort of narrative nonfiction. So they read like novels, but stories that like. You can, you'll really sink your teeth into. And the first one I kind of discovered by accident just because I loved the title. I didn't know what it was about. It's called The Secret Rooms. And it is um, a true story of a haunted castle, a, a plotting duchess, and a family secret. And it is by Catherine Bailey. And oh <laughs> my gosh, 
that I could not put this book down. And it's nonfiction. And it's just unbelievable. It's a great story. True story. Yeah. That is amazing. I don't think I've ever read nonfiction that is unput downable. So I can't wait. Uh, Honestly. Honestly. And so the third one now, uh, this is another. This is my favorite nonfiction um, uh, narrative author. And I've read all of his books. Surely you've read Eric Larson. Yes, I have. Okay. So you might have already read this one, though. This is one of his most recent ones, and I read it while I was writing at The Last Night in London. And this is The Splendid and the Vile. Because, you know, what I loved about it um, and why I thought of you is because it's not about the war. It's not about the Blitz. It's about the personal life of Winston Churchill during the Blitz. Because he was front and central. He is the one, you know, credited rightfully so with really saving the world and um and i know that you would like to get into the heart of these characters and that's why i thought if you hadn't read it you definitely needed to no you've pegged me well because that is on my list of books to read i love eric larson and i haven't gotten to that one yet so yes i'm all ready to go on my desert island escapade yay (laughs) enjoy don't forget the sunscreen you're very fair skinned so thanks (laughs) okay well i've got some books for you too and i thought i would give you a new favorite got my pencil got your pencil okay so i'm going to give you a new favorite so it's one i've just read and an okay. old favorite, so one I've read many times, but the first time many, many years ago. And then a classic, because classics never go out of style, right? Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. first one is West with Giraffes by Lynn Rutledge. Have you read that one? No, okay. I haven't even... Okay, okay. that's great. So West I'm, I'm recommending okay. it for a couple of reasons. Um, okay. Number one, you and I both love animals. And this story, it's part adventure, part historical saga, and part coming-of-age story. It explores what it means to be changed by the grace of animals. It's also a book about the kindness. Okay, I just got Yes, right? (laughs) It's also about the kindness of strangers and the passing of time and what it means to leave our mortal lives behind without regrets. And it's it's a, a very old man begins the story. He's over 100 years old, and he's in a nursing home, and he's writing down um, his his story. And you can tell it's important to him that he gets it down before he dies. And so he takes us back to 1938. The Great Great Depression is still lingering. Hitler is threatening Europe and the world is hungry for wonder. And from the back cover copy, it says this, um, they find that wonder in two giraffes who miraculously survive a hurricane while crossing the Atlantic. And what follows is a 12-day road trip in a custom truck to deliver the the giraffes to San Diego, my zoo, the San Diego Zoo. Oh, I love and it. behind the wheel is this um, is this old man when he was a young man, and he's a young man with both dreams and a past that he feels like he can't escape from. It's a beautiful oh story. I just loved it. It's and it's based on on two giraffes who really did survive that hurricane. So I highly recommend it. Oh, thank you. Yes. That's right up my alley. I'm just getting, yeah, yes. all, all the goosebumps. Oh, yeah. you'll love yeah, it. It's you. terrific. And then my second book for you is an old, old favorite. And it's another book about animals. And it's a book that I've read probably five times in my lifetime, starting when I was 10. And it's Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. Oh, I know. Yes, love that. <laughs> and maybe I still cry. 
I still cry. Maybe it's been a while since you read it, Karen, because it is a kid's I book. Yep. But um, yeah. I read it again as an adult just a couple of years ago, and it just never loses its timelessness. Good to know. I think you're mm-hmm. right because I remember how it, I remember crying when I was the first time I read it as yeah. a little girl, and of course I read it with my children. Yes, um, but that's the last time I haven't read it as a you know yes the older adult that I am exactly. So. And so I think you you gain new things from this old book um, because you're reading it now at a different stage of your life. It's a Newbery mm-hmm. Honor book, and it's if, mm-hmm. for those listening who may not have read Charlotte's Web, it's a tender novel about friendship, love, life, mm-hmm. and and even about death. And I looked on a website for the top 10 reasons to read Charlotte's Web. And here are the top oh. three reasons why you should read Charlotte's Web. Number one, it teaches you the importance of having a really good friend, even if they are of a different species. Love yes. That. And number two is it shows the gravity of a great first sentence. Quote, <laughs> where's Papa going with that axe? Close quote is one of the best opening lines of all time. Isn't it? <laughs> you can't beat that. And then number three, it showcases that spiders aren't always terrifying. Sometimes they are wise and kind. So, Charlotte's Web. Brilliant. Thank you. And then this third one, I hemmed and hawed a long time on this third one. I thought, what? What's the third one that I'm gonna send with her on this desert island? And I decided to send you along with a book of poetry. A collection of poetry, and here's why. Well, you don't know how long you're going to be on this desert island. And poetry is always more than just its sparse words. It's usually more than you can understand on your first read. It might take you 10 reads to catch the intended meaning of a poem. I can read some poems, and I still don't know what they mean. I have to read them over and over again. And if you're on a desert island and the weeks are stretching. You have plenty of time to do that. You might need time Mm -hmm. to ponder. Yes, mm-hmm, and so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm choosing for you the complete poems of Emily Dickinson, Ooh. and I chose her because she's a, she fe- is a favorite. She's Oh, good, and she's a female poet, so girl power, and mm-hmm. because only 11 of her poems had been published before she died, which I think is kind of sad, so I think she oh, needs I, to be yes. immortalized in our lives. It's like um, us walking through the old cemeteries again. Let's, you yes, know, let's exactly. relive them. Yes. Let's celebrate and, them. Yeah. And she has she's written almost 2,000 poems. There's 1,775 poems in this anthology of her poems, and it's 700 wow. pages. So you can stand on it to reach the coconuts. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think, I think, you know, the bigger the book, the better. Like, I like big books. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, I'm not plagiarizing that, am I? <laughs> so there you go. Thank you. All great. I've written them down and um, I definitely can start with uh, West with giraffes. I might, um, yeah, because I'm, I was going to say, when do I have time to go to a bookstore? I'm about to go on book tour. I will there be you visiting go. bookstores. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. And I'm driving so I can, my, my bag can be as oh, heavy can, as I want it to be. You can fill up the trunk with books. I can, absolutely. Do you feel like your creativity took a hit during the the pandemic? Because we're trying to write these stories of the past or the present, and you know we're trying to we put our all into them. Um, right. But it's you already of... wrote your epidemic book, so, <laughs> <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> I did. I kind of I kind of wrote about a pandemic in right. a previous book. Not this one, book. but a, yeah, a yeah. Epidemic. But but we as writers and artists, we had to create 
during one. And I'm just wondering what it was like for you to write during these last two years when the world was such an uncertain place. Well, you know what? To be honest, (laughs) because 2019 had been a, a year of upheaval for me in my personal life, and it was getting worse by the time I hit 2020. I had no expectations that 2020 was going to be better. And my creativity and my mind bank was already severely depleted by we got by the time we got to 2020 that I didn't even notice that I was completely, you know, I, I was kind of glad that I didn't have to go on tour or anything because I didn't think I could summon the mental energy to do it because I was dealing with so much other stuff. Um, how, how did how did how did that affect you? Yeah, and I, your creativity. I noticed too that since I already live a little bit of an isolated life anyway, mm-hmm. that I wasn't affected by the shutdown as much as other people were. And we're an empty nest, so the, I didn't have mm-hmm. kids at home trying to be schooled Same. at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what changed for me was just the feel of the world around me just seemed so mm-hmm. topsy turvy, and the the um the dissension that I felt just just the un the unhappiness of so many people for all kinds of reasons yeah. that was kind of heavy for me and I thought mm-hmm. I was doing okay I thought I can just shut all that out all of the world's unhappiness and weariness and it was scary too it was scary for a lot of people mm-hmm. there were people who were losing loved ones and yeah I didn't lose anybody I feel very grateful and thankful for that. And I really thought I could shut it out. But the book that I wrote during the pandemic, which I thought was okay, was a train wreck. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't even see it. I, I didn't see, I Whoa. see it now, you know, like I got <laughs> notes back from my editor and she's so great. She was able to, you know, tell me all the places where the book wasn't working and it was pretty much everywhere. I pretty much had to rewrite the whole thing. So I, <laughs> what surprised me was I didn't know that my creativity was taking a hit. I was being affected by the weird, by the weary world, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I didn't even know it. So, I kind of had to rewrite that book, and I'm really happy with it now. But it surprised me that mm-hmm. um, I didn't I didn't see it coming. I didn't I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of the weight that I was uh, apparently wow. um, bearing. Wow. So, um, when does that book come out? It doesn't come out until April of 2023, okay. so I'm, I'm actually finishing up those revisions that I just told you I had oh, to kind of yeah. redo. I'm turning yeah, that book in on April 1, yeah. and I think my editor is going to like the new version. I think good. so. I feel I feel pretty good about it, even though I felt good about the first one, too. Um, right. But I, I'm feeling much better about this one, and I think the world is in a different place, which makes mm-hmm. me then... Yeah, I, I well, I can't wait to read it. Do we have a title? It's called right now, Only the Beautiful. Mm, and it's, it's nice the working title. title. We'll need to make sure sales and marketing signs sure, off on I it know, too. I know you know what I goes. mean? I know but, how that goes. Yes, but my agent loves the title and my editor does too. So I, I mm-hmm. do hope I'm able to keep it. It really fits mm-hmm. the book well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just as I've been coming out of this funk, it was such a relief to write. Still dealing with stuff, but you know, I'm finally getting my mojo back. Like I'm starting to have those those wonderful zings that we get, you know, like where all of our story ideas come from, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, whether it's from a podcast or a 
um, a news article or conversation we overhear. I'm just starting to hear that, you know, after it's been a like a three-year hiatus. I don't know how I've produced things. I'm glad that I had the shop on Royal Street to write mm-hmm. because it is lighter, um, you know, and I was able to have fun with that and, you know, spend time in New Orleans. Um, and actually, I was able to visit New Orleans last June to mm-hmm. uh, quote-unquote research. And I know you love, like, I remember the last year of the war, you were talking about digging through, you know, old history and like visiting places that may or may not exist anymore. Um, so Susan, tell me a little bit about how how you like to research. What's your favorite way to research? Yeah, I think research is probably the part of writing that I like best, even though it's not writing at all. It's mm-hmm. it's actually getting ready to write is what it Absolutely. is. But I just filling love your it. heart with the story. You yes. Know? Yes. I feel like for me since most of my books are historical in nature is I have usually have a lot of research to do to get ready to write. Mm-hmm. And so the dive is pretty deep and pretty extensive and it might last for four or five months where I'm not writing a thing. I'm just taking notes and reading mm-hmm. and listening. But that part of the writing process is just so meaningful and rich for me because it's, it's me going before you, before the reader. I'm, I'm going to that place before I take you there mm-hmm. and setting everything up as like your tour mm-hmm, guide. Mm-hmm. You're curating what needs to be told, yes. you know, of, of this huge big story. Like what are the most important things so you don't bog them down with all these yes. incidental things that are interesting but would bog the story down. And there's a yeah. delicate balance to information that you gain in research. And even probably for a contemporary story, you can't Absolutely. use it all. You're going mm-hmm. to learn a lot about what you're going to be writing about, setting, characters, motivations, their mm-hmm. employment, what you decide to give them as a life pursuit. Mm-hmm. But you mm-hmm. can't use it all because then it becomes it becomes ponderous and onerous. And the, the reader can start to tell if you're just dumping information into oh, the story. <laughs> absolutely. And, it, and because, yeah, I believe in suffering for my craft. Yeah. So I, I I did visit New Orleans and I made sure that I ate and I drank and I did all the things, you know, <laughs> because that's what you do. And I visited with my dear friends from college. So, you know, because, and I do this for my readers and you're welcome. Yeah, you know? yeah I was able to go to San Francisco um, before the pandemic because during the pandemic, it, the city was shut down completely. Yeah. But I was, I'm so glad I was able to get that visit in before we had the pandemic. Um, you know, San Francisco before the quake was a different city than it is now. The quake pretty much destroyed it. So you really can't go to some places um, right. to revisit the past. You can go and look at how it is now, but sometimes all that's left are echoes, but they're there. They really are mm-hmm. there, and it's, it's kind of up to us to kind of track them down. I will and say, and old photographs. Yes. Too. Oh, yes. Photographs yeah. and old newspaper articles. Um, most, not all, but many, many major cities have digitized all their old newspapers. So I, yeah. I could go back and read the front page of every San Francisco newspaper. They had three dailies every Isn't day before and after yeah. the quake. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. Right. Right. See, when I did the last night in London, it was. Again, you, you, I, I, it was a subscription service that I paid for while I was researching. But if I wanted to find out, you know, about, um, you know, the annexation mm-hmm. of, you know, a certain, you know, as Hitler was making his move across Europe, there it was, front page. You know, I just searched for on that. It's just incredible what you can find online, and and that's great. And I know that's a, a big part of both of our research. Mm-hmm. But 
actually visiting a place um, is is just imperative. Um, and I was, yeah, I was, I've, I've always appreciated that. Yeah, and um, something I was happy to revisit when I was writing um, uh, the the shop on Royal Street is yes, it's a contemporary book, but you know, again, the ghosts are always a part of the history and. And in this book, um, because I also love old houses, um, I um, um, have the main character, Nola, is buying an, like a dilapidated Creole cottage because I love to write about, you know, restoration. Because I think also in both our books, it's things are torn down and then they rebuild. Mm-hmm. And I think a great way is to take a dilapidated old house that once had happy memories and making it new. And um, Nola does that. She buys this dilapidated uh, Creole cottage and then has to figure out, you know, what the rest of the story is. But, of course, when she buys the house, there is um, there's a couple of residents, past residents, who are not ready to move on. And uh, one of them, I because I love this story, um, when I was in college, um, so I, I love, you know, old retail stores, that's that's a whole nother story you need to dive into. <laughs> because you remember every major city had its like privately or, or, or you know, a community owned or privately owned department store, you know, and, uh, you know, Kaufman's and um, John Wanamaker's in Philadelphia. In D.C. it was Garfinkel's and a few other ones. And they're all gone now. Everything's Macy's now, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, and in New Orleans, there were two stores, and one was Maison Blanche. And I remember going there and shopping there on Canal Street. And like the first time I visited after college, I went on Canal and it was gone. And now it's the Ritz Carlton, which I actually stayed in when I was there in June. And I just like, I wanted to tell the story of Maison Blanche and because it is a relic of history now. It, it, it is no longer there. It was this huge place that people have so many stories about. And they had the Christmas Mr. Bingle that they would bring out. And everybody remembers Mr. Bingle, you know, Bingle, jingle, 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 here comes Mr. Bingle, you know, from like the 40s on. And, and then poof, it's gone. So I chose that I have the, the ghost character was a sales girl at Maison Blanche. Oh, you know? I so, love that. I love that. So I love that connection into history. And I wanted to sort of, again, I wanted to represent Maison Blanche, and which was a huge historical part of the city of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So um, I love that. I, I love the way that we were able to tell stories because I'm sure a lot of Tulane um, students today don't know anything about Maison Blanche, you know? And um, so this is my way of sort of, Hello. That's terrific. There's a story here. Yeah. Now, before we move on, I know we're going to talk about collaborative novels because yes. we have that in common too. But before we move on to that, it just reminded me that the book, The Last Night in London, that that location is special to you. It's not any ordinary location. I'm not sure if everybody knows it. Maybe, maybe a lot of your listeners do, but can you just talk about that really quick before we move on? Sure, sure. So um, I, I love, oh, and and as a matter of fact, Nola in the Shop on Royal Street series lives in the apartment that I lived in um, in college with my my two best friends. So um, so that that was really fun. And and that's not the first time I've done that. So in the last night in London, um, because of my father's job, we lived in London for seven years. So I was there from middle school and high school. And um, we lived in this beautiful apartment on Regent Street, uh, excuse me, Regent's Park that was built in 1903 or 1904. 
and um, it had such history. And I remember the day that we moved in, uh, you know, the porter saying that the reason why some of our windows were plain glass instead of leaded glass was because during the blitz, nearby bombs had shattered them and they were just replaced with plain glass. And I remember, you know, when we were studying the, the blitz in high school, um, you know, lying in my bed at night saying, my gosh, you know, because I had plain glass uh, um, on the window in my bedroom. And I was thinking, my gosh, somebody slept in this bedroom during the blitz you know, nine months of nearly constant nightly bombings. Like, oh my gosh, you know, that was the first time. And when I, my father was a history buff. So of course I was raised to be a history buff. We loved visiting battlefields and old houses and buildings and museums. But this was the first time I could hold history in my hands by just living in that building. And so that is why I created these stories based on real, you know, real not real people, but people who lived at the time and experienced these very real events. And um, as told from the eyes of my flat in London. So, um, I because I, I love, I, th I think old buildings are time capsules. Um, even the apartment I lived in, it was an old townhouse in New Orleans and it's a time capsule. I totally um, agree. And get, get ready for this to blow your mind. Another publishing sister, who has a New Orleans book coming out in June. Um, she contacted me. She said, oh, can we do, you know, sort of a Zoom event or whatever, you know, when my book comes out, because you have a New Orleans book. I have a New Orleans book. I'm like, great, great. We got to talking. Before I lived in that apartment, she lived in that apartment while she was a student at Tulane. I've got chills. Blows your mind. <laughs> Blows your mind. Because we're talking, she, I was like, yeah, yeah, I didn't live on campus. I lived on Broadway. It's sort of on Fraternity Road. She's like, oh, I did too. You know, right across from the Kinko's. I'm like, oh my gosh. Was it, you know, 1022 Broadway? She's like, oh my gosh. So we shared pictures of us like on the front steps of the exact same apartment, just, you know, a decade apart. I love so, that. That is so cool. The mind. I, I think know, buildings. Right? I think buildings do kind of have an aura or a character and almost a personality, Absolutely. even though I know they're not sentient beings, but I, houses and buildings and places where we've lived, where especially where multiple people have lived, they they have a past yes. too. That's great. Oh, absolutely. That's why I always, every single one of my books, an old building, usually a house, is the main character because I love them. Oh, yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. Yes. So let's talk, Susan, about collaborations. I can't believe that this is something that um, you had to remind me that we're both, well, because you're, you're brand new and you're writing with the amazing Christina McMorris and Ariel Lahan. And did I pronounce her last name yes. right? Yeah. Yep. She's also stayed in my house. They both have stayed in my house. <laughs> wow. It's the Hotel Karen. <laughs> um, but you have a collaboration coming out. Tell us a little bit about that, and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the one I have coming out. Yes. So um, Christina McMorris, Ariel Nahan, and I, we've just put the finishing touches on a book that will come out in October. It's called When We Had Wings, and it's the fictionalized telling of very real people. They are female military nurses who were stationed in the Philippines during World War II, and, you know, you might know that the Philippines were an American territory, just like Hawaii was. And after the Japanese forces bombed Pearl Harbor, they turned for the Philippines and did the same thing to Manila. What happened in Manila, though, is it became an, it, it was an occupied city. They didn't just bomb and leave. They bombed and stayed. And so these nurses who were stationed at, in the Philippines, uniformed military nurses became prisoners of war, just like the men. And they really are the first 
uniformed female prisoners of war because women didn't have combat roles back then. And, they, you know, there was this army hospital and a naval hospital, and they were staffed by, by female nurses who were suddenly now in a prison of war camp. Um, the conditions were as terrible as you can imagine. And yet they still did what they had gone to the Philippines to do, and that's nurse people. So they put together these camp hospitals with nothing and nursed people with nothing. And um, they were known as the angels of Bataan because they kept people's eyes trained on hope. And so that's where the title comes from when we had wings. And so we have fictionalized three of those very brave women. Um, but But the experiences really happened to real American and Filipina nurses. And so it comes out in October. And your collaboration, I just saw in Publishers Weekly, um, my hard copy came the other day, and there's a little red star by your book. Yes, that is uh, awesome. We're so excited. Yes, we're really excited. This is our fourth, and would you believe we're already working on our fifth one? Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but you have to, you do get this rush, you know, when you're working with your friends, it's, it's, it's a different experience. It's a heck of a lot more fun than writing by yourself. But, um, yeah, so I write with, the the fabulous, amazing now dear, dear friends, uh, Beatrice Williams and Lauren Willig and, uh, our fourth collaboration. It is four. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's called the lost summers of Newport as in Newport, Rhode Island, and it comes out May 17th. And um, yes, we got a starred review in Publishers Weekly, which we're very pumped about. Um, but it is, again, it's, it's so it's three different time periods this, for this book. And it is a Gilded Age because you cannot do Newport without Gilded Age Mansion, right? Um, and by the way, it, it stars a, an old mansion that is, um, it's new in 1899. And then we see it in 1950s. That's the second time period. And then we see it from current, uh, a young woman who is an architectural historian who is, um, uh, a producer of a um, makeover mansion, sort of an HGTV show, where she is going to renovate three rooms in this dilapidated uh, Newport mansion. But of course, there are secrets hidden um, that each that you will discover as you go through the book and the different time periods that are left to be re- revealed in the more current contemporary times. So lots of twists and turns and just, you know, a hoot. And we are so excited because we just found out that our launch party will be um, in Newport at the Doris Duke Mansion. <laughs> so we're thrilled. And uh, we have a wonderful um, uh, independent bookseller who will also be our bookseller um, at the launch. So it's it's so exciting. Yeah. That sounds exciting. And the oh, we're, we're like coordinating our wardrobes now. Oh, you know, goodness. That's just what we yes. <laughs> I can't wait to see all your pictures on social media. That's going to be fabulous. And that premise yeah, just yeah. sounds delicious. Do you guys oh, plot yeah. together? Did you all like, was it one person's idea or do you all kind of powwow together and no. come up with it? Yeah. You know, it's weird because um, I'm sure you found this working with two other, we call ourselves the unibrain now because we no longer think independently when we're talking <laughs> collaboration. Just whenever we get together, you know, someone will say, oh, this should be our next book idea. And then we just all start piling on. And all of a sudden it's like, well, that's our next book. Um, I mean, at this point, we we literally have a basement full of ideas that and one just, you know, just stuck at the right time. And 
And that's how that happens. So we, we get together initially, uh, you know, it's all work, 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 even though we always go to a spa location <laughs> or the beach. <laughs> I do have a beach house, but it's work, work, work. Um, and then, uh, so we plotted and that's when we kind of decide, um, and it's very loosely plotted because we are all pantsers and so it hurts to plot. And so, so we make sure our outline is very loose so that we can add and change as we go along. Um, and then we sort of claim who our character is, um, or we don't even claim, they just kind of morph and it, the way that it morphs into us, is like, who have we not written? What would be a stretch for us? You know? And, and that's why everybody assumes I do the Southern characters. And let me tell you, you would not be assuming correctly. Um, and then, you know, we go our separate ways. We write round Robin. I live in Georgia. Beatrice is in Connecticut and uh, Lauren is in uh, New York City. And we write round Robin. And then again, because it's all work, 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 we meet in some horrible location like a spa resort. <laughs> and, um, and then we sort of go through the final thing and we turn it into our editor and we celebrate. Wow. I'm amazed that you are all seat of the pant writers and you're able to pull off these amazing books we, 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 we like amaze ourselves like you know like why can't we do this for our own books because we try and it's just it doesn't happen so um yeah yeah but it's it's the only way you can do when you write with two other authors so yeah yeah, yeah. we found that to be true too is that you do have to have, you have to be able to maintain your own creative integrity and mm -hmm. um for us, we are all outliners, and so we did have some outlining that we would... Oh, wow. And, it, and it, it, you know what morphs? As you write, discovery takes place, and right. things occur to you that you hadn't thought of before as, as you know, the, 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 the innovative part takes, takes over. Um, mm -hmm. But because our nurses were separated by the war, it allowed us uh, to be able to have a lot of flu fluidity as we wrote. Um, nice. Because they were separated... Because I, I can't mm -hmm. imagine how, how difficult it would be to have three characters together all the time. And, um, yes. and I think that's, that's probably why we've learned in collaborative works like this to have a little bit of autonomy by keeping your characters separated, which you have and, done and with you, and you time and we've done with location. Right. Yeah. Right. And you have to. And also, um, we don't edit each other. That's mm -hmm. for our editor. You know, we just, um, and it's so funny because when we write Round Robin, I don't know, is, is that how, how, what is your process like? Yeah, we all wrote our own chapters before any of the others pretty much saw them. So I don't know if you would oh, write wow. chapters. Okay. Yeah, would you like to write a chapter and send it on type of thing? Because, uh huh. Because I, then we then we sort of we oh, read what's uh, been written right. and we can sort of react to what's going on and which is great you know because I you know um, um, so for instance in this past this past book there's a boathouse I didn't really know what it looked like but then Beatrice had to write the chapter before mine I'm like okay now I know what the book you know and then I just had to <laughs> age it, you know however many years <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly so it's great because you and in in that respect you can. Um, um, uh, plagiarized, you know, because it's yeah. the same book. But you know what was really special is that our book, All the Ways We Said Goodbye, um, there was, again, there's this thing with secondary characters. Um, there is the character of Precious DuBose, who is a major secondary character. We see her, it's 1964 in that book. And then um, at the time I was starting The Last Night in London and I realized that we were getting a lot of fan mail and fan comments about Precious. And I asked Beatrice and Lauren if I could just 
take that character into my story and tell her because in in our collaboration she only intimates about um about her life during the war and I thought can I tell her story she was a fashion model in London and here's I'm writing you know about the Blitz in London, let's put a fashion model in um, in London. And that's how I came up with the major character of Precious DuBose in uh, The Last Night in London. That is so, so cool. That's great. Yeah. And it's not even plagiarizing because it's like your own book. Exactly. <laughs> no, that is yeah. smart. Very smart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Have we covered everything? I think so. This has been such a blast. I feel like we're back in your um, lovely, lovely kitchen with your sweet family and your puppy and having a nice glass of wine and just talking about life. This has been a tremendous treat. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for doing this. This is, um, yeah, it was great catching up and, um, I hope we can do it again. It was great seeing you in San Diego Mm -hmm. and, um, I love those events. I know they're talking about bringing them to Florida. So that, that, that would be awesome. That would be fun. A lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Then we'd stay in my Florida house. Oh, uh, yes. Get the full experience. Yes. (laughs) There you go. Let's do it. See Sophie again. Cool. But um, but yeah. All right. Thanks again. I love meeting your husband. Tell him I said hello. I will do that. All right. (laughs) Take care. You too. Thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about upcoming episodes, to read a transcript of this episode, to buy the books discussed here, and for more information about our sponsors, bookfinity.com and Buxton Books. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment. Cheers.